LGBT Catholic, the future of inclusivity in the Catholic Church. We treat LGBT people so differently than straight people. I mean, you know, divorced and remarried people, people who use birth control, people who use IVF, they are not exempting themselves from the church. They feel perfectly welcome in their parishes. It's the LGBT person who's sort of targeted and whose sexual morality is put under this kind of microscope. And so when you meet these people, you realize how great their faith is because they really have to want to be in the church. They have to choose to be in the church despite a lot of the persecution and exclusion that they feel. This is Beliefs. I'm Bill Baker. Jesuit priest Father James Martin, a thoughtful and respected voice in the Catholic Church. He's the author of the book, Building a Bridge, how the Catholic Church and the LGBT community can enter into a relationship of respect, compassion, and sensitivity. Known for his thoughtful, insightful theological views on many subjects, now he turns to homosexuality. Father Martin is a passionate advocate for embracing a community often shunned by the church. Father Martin, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Father Martin, you're a well-known Jesuit, a well-known uh, face of the Catholic Church in America. How did you wind up getting into this subject? Where did this come from? Well, for many years, like uh, many priests and brothers and sisters and lay people, I'd worked, I would say, on an informal basis with LGBT people. So seeing them for spiritual direction, counseling, confession, those kinds of things. And I'd written about them uh, several times in America Magazine, where I work. But it wasn't until the Pulse nightclub massacre in 2016, where 49 people were killed, uh, gay people, uh, that I started to think it was time to speak out more publicly. And what galvanized me was seeing that uh, so few bishops had said anything uh, after the massacres. And, you know, as you know very well, after any sort of shooting, the USCCB or the, the Catholic bishops or individual bishops will say something. And it struck me that uh, it was very uh, surprising and disappointing that the bishops didn't come out to say something. And I thought we really needed to address this topic at this time. The uh, book is wide-ranging, and it approaches a subject in the church that's very complex. What is your approach? Well, my approach is basically to use three words in the catechism, uh, which are respect, compassion, and sensitivity, and unpack those words in the book and invite uh, both the Catholic Church, the institutional church, that is the decision makers, uh, and the LGBT Catholic community to treat one another with respect, compassion, and sensitivity. And the second part of the book, which I actually think is the more important part, uh, is an invitation to prayer. And so I use several gospel passages to invite people to think about the ways that Jesus treated people who felt like they were on the margins, uh, and of course the way that we are called to treat people on the margins as well. Uh, you made a really powerful video associated with this book. You want to tell people how they can get that video, but let's also talk about a couple of the aspects of the video. And one of those aspects is finding a church, a Catholic church that works for you. Some Catholic churches don't embrace the LGBT community. Others do. Well, it is, and it's very sad. Some people have to drive miles and miles and miles uh, to find, or sometimes to a different diocese, just to find a place where they don't feel excluded or marginalized or insulted. And the video I did, uh, called Spiritual Insights for LGBT Catholics, uh, tries to give advice to people who might not have someone to talk to. Um, and I just think it's sad that uh, a person's faith life should depend so much on where they happen to live. If you happen to live in a big city with uh, welcoming parishes, you are in luck. 
if you happen to live and you're an LGBT person, especially a young person, and you're not uh, welcomed in your parish, it can affect not just your uh, outlook on your, the faith and the church, but on God as well. And so I, I think that's actually a real scandal in the church, that so much depends on where you happen to be. Now, this book uh, uh, has been praised by many, uh, including a couple very significant cardinals, and it has also been criticized by many, including some Catholic writers, people even from the LGBT community, saying things like, uh, it's one thing to have respect, but respect only works if it goes both ways, and many of the leaders of the Church don't respect that community. Well, that's true. I think it's important to say that the book was written with the approval of my Jesuit superiors. It's been endorsed by uh, all sorts of cardinals, including uh, Cardinal Farrell, who runs the Dicastery for Family, Laity, and Life. And for the most part, uh, I'd say 95% of people have been grateful for it. At the beginning, there was some pushback from some quarters of the LGBT community, but I think that's died down a lot because I think they've seen that uh, the dialogue that started has been uh, useful. Uh, you know, there's always going to be a push for more, but I, I also have to work within the, the constraints of being a Jesuit and being under, under obedience. So I, I think that the book was supposed to start a dialogue, and I think it's been successful in doing that. Uh, the Church itself, of course, has uh, uh, dealt with this issue formally, and in some ways, uh, 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 in controversial ways. For example, in 1986, the bishop's letter for, from the Congregation of the Doctrine used words like distorted notions and practices when re referring to the uh, gay community. Uh, also, the current bishop's uh, conference priority is defense of traditional marriage. How do you make this work in your book in communicating with the uh, gay, lesbian community? Well, an important thing to say is that in my book and in my talks, I'm not challenging any church teaching. Uh, and so I stay away from issues of same-sex marriage and even same-sex relation. But the point is that there's so much more to talk about when it comes to LGBT people. To use an example, uh, two or three weeks ago, I did a retreat for LGBT Catholic families uh, at a Jesuit retreat center in Wernersville, PA. And I met a couple who had three LGBT kids, uh, say 13, 15, 16. And now these kids aren't in any sort of marriage. They're not sexually active. And so the question is, you know, where is the church for them? And I asked them, you know, what is it like in your parish? And one of the kids said, well, some people won't talk to us anymore. So I think what we need to see is that treating LGBT people with respect, compassion, and sensitivity is much more than looking at same-sex marriage and same-sex relation, because they're more than just their sexual lives. I mean, just as straight people are. We would never focus completely on chastity or something like that with straight people, or even, say, straight young people, but we tend to do that with LGBT people, unfortunately. The Pope himself has made some interesting statements. Someone asked him about gay-lesbian issues, and he said, who am I to judge? And then very recently, the Pope spoke to a young man, and there's a video of it, Juan Carlos, and he said, the Pope said, God made you that way. Sure, I think he's taken many positive steps forward. And as you say, his five most famous words, who am I to judge, came in response to a question specifically about gay priests. And he said, if a man is seeking God, who am I to judge? The next day, they pushed him, uh, as journalists often do, and said, did you mean just gay priests? And he said, no, I meant, you know, all homosexuals, right, all gay people. He is the first pope to ever use the word gay. Uh, he met with Juan Carlos Cruz, who I know, and said, God made you that way. Uh, he has talked about Jesus not saying to homosexuals, you know, I would, I would reject you or push you away. 
And so I think he's been very forward-thinking. He has also, perhaps more importantly, for the long-range future of the Church, has appointed many cardinals, archbishops, and bishops who themselves are welcoming. For example, uh, Cardinal Tobin, the Archbishop of Newark, who had a welcome Mass for LGBT people. So this Pope has done a great deal. I, some people feel that he hasn't gone far enough, but you know we know that he has gay friends and that he is very sympathetic, and so I think it's, uh, he's been a great uh, boon to the LGBT Catholic community. Father Martin, what's next on this subject? Uh, uh, I mean, you've kind of cracked the door open. Where do you think we're going to go from here? Well, what I hope for is more dialogue, and I think one of the important things for the Church to do is really to listen to the experiences of LGBT people. For example, that family I talked about before. What can the Church learn from uh, parents of LGBT people? What can the Church learn from the experiences of LGBT people? And not simply on LGBT topics, but what's their experience of God-like? Who is Jesus for them? You know, how can we, how can we sort of do some theology with their experience and kind of reflect on uh, their experience of, of Jesus Christ, because the Holy Spirit is at work through them. I also think that, uh, you know, retreats and outreach programs and masses for LGBT Catholics helps to really bridge the gap between, uh, shall we say, their suspicions, because often they've been treated really poorly, and our good intentions. And so I think more outreach programs and more specific ministries towards that population are really, is really where the Church needs to go. The next thing I want to talk about is the subject of being born like that. Most psychologists, psychiatrists in this world say about 10% of America is gay or lesbian, and they had no control over that. Do you want to talk a little about that subject? Well, that's right. As you say, most reputable psychologists, psychiatrists, biologists, social scientists say that people are simply born this way. More importantly, I say the lived experience of LGBT people. They'll tell you that, that they've always felt this way. And so to treat people differently because of the way that they've been born, to say that they're inherently sinful or they're, they're inherently bad, I think is really doing a number on people. I met a woman uh, who was the parent of a, a gay teen at a talk I gave about a year ago, and she said, do people understand how damaging that kind of thought is, how damaging it is to say, you know, you're intrinsically disordered in yourself? And she said to me, do people understand what that could do to a 14-year-old child? She said it could destroy them. And so I think we have to be really careful about those kinds of, that kind of false science that says you choose to be LGBT because it can be really destructive for someone, especially someone in adolescence. And so the church needs to understand the effects of what I would call stigmatizing language uh, and, and almost language that does violence against someone's spiritual life. Uh what is amazing to me, really, uh, is for decades how the Church has treated uh, people from the gay-lesbian community, and yet it seems like the people in that community still are seeking the Church. Do you sense more people from the LGBT community coming back to the Church these days, or at least going to religion somewhere? Well, I think that's a good point, and what I want to say first is that that we treat LGBT people so differently than straight people. I mean, you know, divorced and remarried people, people who use birth control, people who use IVF, they are not exempting themselves from the church. They feel perfectly welcome in their parishes. It's the LGBT person who's sort of targeted and whose sexual morality is put under this kind of microscope. And so when you meet these people, you realize how great their faith is because they really have to want to be in the church. They have to choose to be in the church despite a lot of the persecution and exclusion that they feel. And so I always think of the line from uh, Jesus meeting the Roman centurion in, Cap in Capernaum, where he says, you know, never in Israel have I seen such faith like this. And so that's the kind of faith that I see 
among these very faithful LGBT Catholics. Can you give us some examples of LGBT Catholics that have really moved you during this whole experience? Well, uh, there are many, and I, again, would point to that family that I met uh, with the LGBT kids. I met a woman uh, who told me that her pastor said to her, uh, after he found out that she was lesbian and not married, by the way, your kind are not welcome here, and you might want to try to find another parish. And she told me uh, about how she found this parish that was welcoming. And, t- and to me, you know, her-, her story is more about how persevering she was. A mother told me the story that her son had been estranged from the church for years because he was gay, and the son came back to Mass on Easter. And when the priest got up to uh, proclaim the Easter gospel and started to preach, he started to preach about the evils of same-sex marriage on Easter. And so he left, you know, he walked out of the church. The mother still perseveres and still prays for her son. And so it's the sense of people who have been mistreated, uh, been misunderstood, who have been excluded, but who know that they have a place in the church. And I always tell people, look, You're a baptized Catholic. You are as much a Catholic as Pope Francis, your local bishop, me, or anyone who sits in those pews. And so for for a lot of them, it's it's sort of owning their baptism and and recognizing that God calls them into the church, uh, even though it's difficult for them, and for a reason, you know, to help build up the church in their own way. Uh, let's talk about the church uh, and and, uh, not only the leaders of the church, but the priests of the church and sisters and the nuns of the church. There's always been a kind of discussion saying there are a lot of uh, closet gay people uh, in in the Catholic Church, closet clerics. Do you talk at all about that? I talk about that in my book. And here's the thing. There have always been uh, celibate gay priests, and what I mean by that to be specific is men who are homosexual but are also celibate. Uh, chaste uh, gay members of religious orders, so brothers and priests and sisters in religious orders who live their vows of chastity. There have always been. I know them. I know probably hundreds of them. And I like to say to people, you have been to masses with them. They have baptized your children. They have buried your parents. They have given you First Communion. They have anointed you when you've been sick. You know, you may not know about them. They may have been your teachers in a, in a, in a religious school or an order school. They're there. The reason that they're not out, shall we say, or more public, um, is is, there many reasons. First of all, many of their bishops and religious superiors simply tell them, don't talk about it, right? Second, many of them are just afraid. And in this poisonous environment where, uh, you know, being gay is equated with being an abuser, right, which is a complete stereotype, who would want to come out? Who would want to be public? And third, a lot of them are simply private. One of the reasons, therefore, that we don't see uh, more counterexamples to the abusive gay priest, for example, is because these these men, you know, hundreds of them, thousands of them, are unwilling or unable to to be public about their sexuality. And so I think that what happens is the church misses an opportunity, and the the stereotype of the gay priest is the abuser, which of course is a vicious circle because it makes people even less likely to want to talk about their sexuality. Now, I want to be clear. You know, I don't think priests need to be talking about their sexuality all the time, but I think that the church had some good examples of healthy and holy gay priests. You would see the conversation around gay priests and around homosexuality in general change, and I might add uh, gay bishops as well. Jesuit Father Jim Martin, thank you for being with us. My pleasure. Our guest was Jesuit priest and author Father James Martin. The conversation continues on our Facebook page, and we tweet at Beliefs Podcast. If you like our program, come review us on iTunes. 
Beliefs is brought to you with the support of the Bernard L. Schwartz Center for Media, Public Policy, and Education at the Graduate School of Education at Fordham University. Jay Woodward is our producer. The theme music is by Edward Billis. I'm Bill Baker. Thanks for listening and tell a friend.